Let's keep that short. I know that that is like nails on a chalkboard for a few of you. I just wanted to know I respect that. Um, it's, it's actually harder than it looks to just kind of greet and meet new folks, but it's part of what it means for us to be the church, right? I mean, different people, some of us victorious today, some of us really broken, different ages, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, coming together to pass the peace. That's where this modern thing of greeting came from. Passing the peace means that having confessed our sin and received the gospel together, we can greet one another in the Lord and, uh, as new creations. So turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And as you do, let me ask you a question. How many friends do you have? How many friends do you have? How many? How many really? How many real friends? Yeah, we go to Facebook, because Facebook knows how many friends you have. Yeah, right. Because half of you are just like me, and you spend more time unfollowing people you don't like because you don't want to actually befriend them. Alright, then you do actually keeping up with your friends. Or maybe if you're on if you're on Instagram, because Facebook is so like 2006 or something, right? It's how many likes or hearts. But does anyone really know us? That's the question that Psalm 39 is is begging us to answer. It's a question that the psalm addresses because it understands that we often feel alone. Does anyone really know you? How weird is it to be in a crowded place? Maybe at a party, maybe you're even at a party where you know a ton of people there, just feel alone. Surrounded yet isolated. We long to be fully known, but we're deeply afraid of that. Deeply afraid of vulnerability and exposure. We're like our first parents in the garden, aren't we? I mean, we've got shame, we've got guilt, we've got social anxiety and, and fear. And so we run, we hide, we clothe ourselves with fig leaves. But we long to be known. The reason we long to be known is because we long to be humanized. We long to be reminded that we're made in God's image. And so to be known is not enough. We also long to be loved. I think about a dear friend that I have, and some of you guys know this gentleman, Justin Edgar. He came out and did our men's thing a year ago or so up at Chateau Harder in Prescott. And Justin is just one of my best friends. I mean, he is one of these guys, and I hope you have a friend like this. I hope I can be this kind of friend to a few people, but he is so loyal. He is probably to a fault, actually, but I like that. Like, he's so loyal, right? If anyone messes with any of his friends, it's pure black and white print. He'll go from like neutral about them to hating them just because they messed with one of his buddies. He's loyal and he cares. He's the kind of guy that when you get on the phone with him, he's not just going to go into his tirade of what's in his life, but he's going to start with questions, even if he's dealing with more than you are. But I was reflecting on Justin this week and thinking about, man, I haven't caught up with him in a minute. And the fact is he's loyal and he cares, but... He doesn't even come close to knowing everything about me and about my ups and my downs on a daily basis or even some of the things that are really weighing on my, weighing on my heart, as we say in the church these days. And that's why we're in this series on the Psalms. That's why we're talking about gospel rhythms, because we, we need to develop within our lives a rhythm of coming to God and praying to him. Search me, know me, remind me that I am known. And in that prayer, 
which is also a confession, we cling to Christ. Because if God knows us, it's a fearful thing, except that he knows us with Christ. The Bible tells us we're then hidden with Christ in God, so we can cling to Jesus and anchor for our souls. And then what? We can go into the world where there's loneliness and isolation and fear. We can go into the world where people don't want to be vulnerable, where they put on masks, depending on the situation they're in, to appease the crowd and solidify their power. We can go into the world with the freedom of being known, where we care for others in their loneliness. So the sermon today, Psalm 139, Search Me. It's a psalm of David, but I love what we find here right in the prologue. And the psalms, most of them have this very short introductory statement to the choir master, a psalm of David. This is a psalm we are to sing together. <laughs> it's a psalm for community, not just for individuals. So let's hear Psalm 139, perhaps not the entire psalm, but a good part of it. And then we'll get into God's word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Can't say that of anyone else. You can't even say it of yourself. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain where shall I go then from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, I love this verse. If I take the wings of the morning, means I have the whole day to do this, and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea. The sea was all about fear and uncertainty and the unknown. Even if I do that, take the whole day to push my boat as far out to the helplessness of the edge of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light be about me at night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. And then these famous verses, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, set apart. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden for you, which I, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. And as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and still I am with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me, that they may strike against malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. It sounds like super harsh, but we'll explain that in a second. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Exclamation point. Try me and know my thoughts. 
and see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good word to us. We just desperately need your word. We need guidance. We need direction. We need you to speak to us, Lord. And so I thank you for Psalm 139, which is both a prayer and a reminder that you are sovereign and you are the king and you know all things and you know us and you search us and you know us. And even though we can lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves, even though we can lie to each other, even though we can hide, we cannot hide from you. What a fearful and terrifying thing that would be if it weren't for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the fulfiller of all the promises of old. That there is hope and there is grace and good news and salvation for sinners who would rather hide than be known. So meet us now, I pray, in these words. Convict us, do work on our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Surgery, and then heal us in the power of the resurrection, and then send us to a lonely and isolated and hiding world, a world that fears to be known, a world that would rather act for power, for money, for fame than be searched. And yet they are longing and they are needy. Meet our needs now that we might meet those of our neighbors. Help us to love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just got a couple of points in this psalm. They're arranged according to the sections of the psalm. If you have an ESV Bible, which I know a lot of us just rock the Bible on our phone, but um, you can kind of see that the ESV takes sections here, and, and that's sort of the way that our outline is fixed because it's the word that produces the outline for us. Point one, God knows you, verses one through six. God knows. God knows. God knows many things. God knows all things. Indeed, if we want to have a philosophical conversation about it, which I'm more than happy to do sometime later over a cold brew because it's already getting way too hot, um, it, God knows everything. He knows all truth. He knows all true propositions. God knows all facts. He empirically knows everything. He knows all things quantitatively. That means he knows the quantity of all things from large to small, from E equals MC squared all the way down to quantum mechanics. He knows all things quantitatively and qualitatively. He knows the wholeness of their qualities, all things which describe and encompass all things God knows, but he knows you. What a God. He knows me. And the first thing the psalmist wants us to see here is the psalmist cries out. The heart of the need of the psalm, the heart of the, the motive that is driving the psalmist existentially is those verses about his enemies. That's what he's doing, because he's building up to help me with my enemies. But before he gets there, where does he start? He meditates on the nature and the character of God. He's doing theology in the form of prayers and hymns and songs and spiritual songs. God is sovereign. This is his nature. He is omniscient. He knows all things. And yet his knowledge is not like our knowledge. We do not know all things quantitatively. We couldn't because we are limited by space and time. Nor can we know all things qualitatively, the wholeness of their qualities, because we are creatures. We're derivative beings. We're not the creator. So God's knowledge is more than just knowing all things. It's incomprehensible. It's that big and yet that particular. But more than it being all things and incomprehensible, this psalm also hits on God's omnipresence. His knowledge isn't just a, a dictionary type knowledge. It's not Wikipedia. 
God isn't some fanciful version of a supercomputer, you know, producing artificial intelligence. You all could just be brains in a vat, but you're not. No. It's not just personal. And so the psalmist also wants us to see that it's the omnipresence of God that should draw out from within us praise and thanks when we think about his knowledge. Not just that he knows, but that he knows personally. He knows with personal presence. He isn't just a force out there. He is near. He knows. He knows you. He knows you personally. He is the creator, and we are his creatures. He is sovereign, and he searches. He is sovereign, and he searches. He knows our desires. He knows our fears, our insecurities. I'm 34. I shouldn't have any more insecurities, but I still do. It's frustrating. God knows them all. Our secret sins and temptations. Not every temptation is sin, by the way. I think a lot of us that came from fundamentalist backgrounds, we've been taught to think that every time you're tempted, you, you've sinned. That's not true. Not every temptation is sin, but God knows where we are tempted and where we fall to that temptation. He also knows our victories, our joys. And he cares about those things more deeply. Have you ever experienced a great victory and then you try to tell someone about it? And maybe they're just in a bad mood. And they're like, that's great. Awesome. I really want to be empathetic right now. We're celebrating with you. Congratulations. God cares about our victories too. We should rejoice that he searches us. Or maybe we should tremble. It's a good time to ask the question, as the psalmist does, where do you stand? What is there to really know about you? What is there that you know about yourself that no one else knows? But that Psalm 139 reminds you that God knows. Where do you stand before him in his knowledge of you, which is complete and total? Is it praise or is it trembling? This is our deepest human need, as I said. It's also terrifying excitement. Some of you are familiar with this um, form of psychotherapy called EMDR. Okay, if you're not, it's I don't know a whole lot about it. Okay, but it's basically this thing where you have um, these impulses and you think back on your memories, and it's something that they use frequently for folks who have gone through various forms of trauma in their past, and it's meant to identify traumatic experiences in your past, and do a horrible job of explaining it. You can ask Christine about it later, because she's a doctor. But getting into the Psalms is like us doing spiritual EMDR. It's like us doing spiritual psychotherapy. It's like God coming to us and saying, you cannot hide. You must stop, and we will draw these things up out of the well. And you know what happens when we do this? When we're known and when we're searched, you're going to find some stuff in your soul. Sometimes it's scary stuff. And that's why the psalmist asks, well, where can we go then? Where can we go? And it's interesting. It's a rhetorical question, right? The answer is nowhere, of course. Jesus sees everything. But yet I want you to see the double entendre of the poetry here. Where can we go? It's, it's fearful and wonderful. Man, where can we go from this God who walks about in the cool of the day, in the garden of your life, and sees you hiding in the bushes? 
this week posted an article from the Gospel Coalition talks about how we always have trouble seeing our greatest flaws. And the reason why is because often our flaws, our greatest flaws, are the other side of the coin of our greatest strengths. Right? So if you were a go-getter type A, dude, I get stuff done. Leader. And maybe one of your thoughts your flaws is that you're not really great with people. You're not great with empathy. You're not sensitive enough. And yes, you are an awesome leader, but maybe sometimes you're leading through fear and you're, you're maybe not as awesome as people think. Or what if you're that sensitive, caring, empathetic, priestly type person? You know, then what's, what's the weakness of that? Fear of man. People pleasing. I'm in like four recovery groups for that right now. You know? It's hard for us to see our biggest flaws. Where can we go? Nowhere. And this beautiful set of couplets, which is, you know, one commentator says this is some of the most beautiful poetry in the entire New Testament right here, verses 7 through 12. This beautiful poetry reflects on the power of God. It reflects on God's power to know us even when we don't want to be known in our darkness, because even darkness is light to God. He sees. He sees what confuses us. Have you had anything come up in your life recently, maybe the last six weeks, last six months, that you're like, what is God's will? I don't know about you, but when I want to know God's will in a situation, I get really extra spiritual, super spiritual. I start praying way more. I might even fast. One meal, usually breakfast. Which I don't eat anyway. No, but I mean, I might, I'll get super spiritual. What is God's will? What is God's will? Right? He knows what confuses us. He knows what vexes us. So where can we go? Nowhere. God sees. But if you are in Christ, hear this, and it's good news. Where can we go? Everywhere. Because if you're in Christ... God sees you and he sees Christ. He sees his son who lived perfectly and died your death in your place and rose from the dead to conquer your death so that you will rise from the dead in Christ someday. You can go everywhere. So it's not just a rhetorical question to expose our limitations, but it's also a promise that we are free. Where are you today? What is your need or your fear? He is there. What is your anxiety or your doubt? He is there. He is there and he is not silent. He is full of grace and mercy in his son, Jesus Christ. He is there and he is not silent and he is not inactive and he is not impotent. He is full of potency and power to be right with you, right where you are now. And so if we trust Jesus to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, then we are more than just known. We are loved. Saw this little viral video. That's what the kids call them these days. On the YouTube. A commercial from Australia. And they sit down all these parents. Did anyone see this? They sit down these parents and they asked the parents, if you could meet anyone famous, like if you could have anyone at your dinner table just for one night, whoever, actually they don't say anyone famous, they just say if you could meet, hang out with, be with anyone for just one night at your dinner table, who would it be? And these couples sit down and you know, it's funny, like they're joking, but the one girl's like, I'm not even gonna try an Australian accent, I was just about to do it. And then Chris would have had to rebuke me publicly and probably take me off stage, okay? No, 
And one lady goes, I want to see Justin Bieber. And the husband's like this kind of hashed out hipster beer guy. He's like, no, you know what I mean? So they're just joking about who they would like to meet. And then it's like a tearjerker, right? Tissue box in hand. Because they bring in privately all these people's kids. And you already know where this is going. And they ask the kids, do you just be with anyone for one night at dinner? Who would you have dinner with? And I'm sure there were some other answers. But the majority of the answers from these kiddos was, I don't want to be with my mom. I don't want to be with my dad. I don't want to be with my family. You know, one of the kids goes, can, can it be someone in the family? You know, does it have to be someone famous? No, it could be anyone. I would just, I just like to eat dinner with my parents. And it reminded me, these children and their simple faith, and that's why we love to have children with us in church, because we're a community from cradle to grave here. Simple faith of children, they just wanted to be. They didn't want to be with the rich person, the famous person, the successful person. They didn't chase the things that we seem to chase so hard in our 20s and 30s and beyond. They just wanted to be where they were known and loved, protected, and fed. And when we are with God, that is where we are. So it wells up praise. You get this beautiful meditation in verse 13, this doxology, this explosion of praise in the middle of the psalm. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He formed you. And if you haven't stopped to wonder and just be blown away recently by little tiny babies, then that might be a good idea. This last week I was... I visited um, Matt and Jessica Jameson, formerly Nunez Piguet. I'm glad they didn't do like a triple hyphen. That would have been way out of control. Like Nunez Piguet, Jameson the third, Esquire.gov, okay? No. Now, the Jameson family, I went to their house, which is awesome. And, you know, it was so sweet. You got like the two grandmas there. Jessica's grandma's from Arkansas, so she's already awesome and a character, because she's from Arkansas. And then you got Matt's mom, and she's there, and they're all just doting on this tiny little nugget of a baby, and, and Jessica's holding the baby, she's like, you want to hold the baby? And usually I'm pretty good, but this was like super freshly cooked baby, man. Like, I'm like, how old? And she goes, oh, it's, you know, 14 days. I'm like, you're still in days mode. Okay, yes, I will hold the baby, like super carefully, nine pillows on the couch. And as I'm holding this baby, you know, it just, it just strikes you. You realize, not, not just billions, Billions is a tiny number. I mean, this like blows the national debt out of the water. Like trillions upon trillions of things that all have to happen, that all have to work together. Thousands of systems in a single cell that all have to work together for somehow this entity to be formed and created and birthed and alive and breathing. And in no time whatsoever, thinking and soon thinking and willing and choosing and even doubting and even thinking about thinking someday? Infinite complexity, it seems. I mean, it is not hyperbole to use that word. It is not an exaggeration. Almost infinite complexity in creation, cells, growth. And we are told in this psalm that God is intricately involved in that. That that was his plan, that he knows, that he formed us, 
what's so good about that? It's not just the stunning mathematical improbability of the birth of a single human being made in the image of God. It's not just that you were formed on a physical, cellular level. It's that you're a living soul, and he designed your days. So we don't get this in verse 16 in the ESV. It says, in your book were written every one of them. But if you read the NIV, and actually today I, was, I found this online. It's, this is in the Spanish NIV. Nueva versión internacional, okay? The NVI, it says, he designed your days. I love that. He ordained your days. Your story is already in his book. And this is praise, because we're not robots. Okay, we're not robots, but we're also, you know what, that's not what anyone in this room struggled with, I'm sorry. Unless you're super philosophy nerd, you want to have that one out, fine, I'll send you to my homie Paul Minata, and he will annihilate us all, because he's a genius. All right, none of us struggles with feeling like we're a robot. We all know we're not. What we struggle with is feeling like we're an accident. That's what we struggle with. But Psalm 39, 139 is a promise that we're not. We are not an accident. We were intended by the Father of the universe. He wills in his sovereign and decreed will to set his love upon us. This is what it means when we talk about covenant theology. He has made a promise that is unbreakable of the most costly nature. The document is signed in the blood of his own son that he might get his glory, but we might get the joy of knowing in our lives, in our deepest struggles and pain, it's not an accident. And that's why the psalmist takes this break, this selah, because these thoughts are precious. He says, your thoughts are too precious for me. And it's true. But why does it matter? It matters because the arc of the psalm invites us, the arc that is the trajectory of the psalm invites us to see that God's big power is poignant in our struggles. It has to do with our enemies. So verses 19 through 21, he conquers your enemies. This one who knows you, who you cannot run from and yet be everywhere with in Christ, this sovereign creator who made you wonderfully deserves your praise, but he also conquers your enemies. Sometimes I feel like as Christians, we are meant to feel like frauds, right? When you doubt when you struggle. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and he was telling me, he said, man, I just feel like a fraud. If people knew, man, if people knew what I was really struggling with, my doubts, my doubts about God, my doubts about all the stuff God says I should do, you know, be a good man, flee sexual immorality, you know, selflessly serve the people that are around me and my wife and my kids or girlfriend or whoever, if people knew. Our enemies are external. The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's important that we realize this because we don't just float about neutrally in some neutral universe. There is a spiritual warfare. There is a battle between good and evil, and we are in the middle of it, assailed. Now, that doesn't mean that creation is good. We say the world, the flesh, and the devil. Creation is not bad. God made all things and made them good. The problem isn't what's out there, right? Jesus says to the Pharisees. The problem isn't what you put into your mouth. It's what comes out of your heart. God made creation good, but we are sinners. So everything around us, in some ways, under the weight of the curse of sin and broken, and so often we are contributing to the brokenness, right? We, 
We have the anti-Midas touch. We don't come and touch things and make them gold and beautiful often. I mean, I see this in my own life. I see this in my closest relationships, that sometimes the things that I'm involved in don't get better, they get worse. So we require one who is greater than us to fix us. There's not enough within us to fix ourselves. And this is the gospel. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot work for righteousness. We need the righteous one to come and work for us. And he has. Our enemies are also internal. As we've said, guilt, fear, condemnation, voices of accusation, the suffering that you're going through. Did this exercise recently with some friends, and we did it at the men's retreat a year ago, but it's this really powerful exercise. If you're, if you're brave enough, get a small group of people together and try this one out. You get two minutes to tell everybody your elevator pitch. Hi, I'm Greg. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. My parents' names are Tim and Cynthia. They're from Buffalo, New York. Blah, 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 blah. Two minutes, elevator pitch. The same thing you tell everybody, everywhere, who knows you this much. Right? And then you get five minutes. And you have to start every sentence with, but what I didn't tell you was. And it's an opportunity to confess the stuff that's really there. You know, what I didn't tell you was I got, you know, beat up and made fun of a bunch in elementary school and middle school, and that's really shaped like a deep insecurity in my soul. What I didn't tell you, okay, tip of the iceberg, usually ends in tears. We have these voices, and we also have a million what I didn't tell you was. We see each other, and things look fine, but what I didn't tell you was dot, dot, dot. Jesus has conquered our enemies, external and internal. He has conquered our enemies, the things that we say and the things that go unsaid. He has done it all. And so the psalm stands with, lead us in the way. And quickly, he prays, search us again, purify us, cleanse our conscience in Christ. Why? So that we might be led in the way. The Psalms are about wisdom. It's part of the wisdom literature canon of the scriptures. Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. The Psalms. They aren't just songs for us to sing, right? I mean, a lot of times we go to church, sometimes you go to, it's church is just like this crazy rock concert. Super emotional. Every song is like intense anthem, a fist pumping. And nowadays, right, every song has that, whoa, like that thing that goes on for an hour, like, you know, how many anthems can you sing until you're just like weeping? You're like, all right, I surrender. I can't take it anymore. The emotion is well up. It's overflowing. Nothing wrong with those songs. There's nothing wrong with those songs at all. But this isn't just about emotion. It's about wisdom. It's about the path of life. Where will we find life? What will we escape into? Where will we go? Saw an article this week talking about the most addictive substances on earth. Guess what? Heroin, cocaine, downers, barbiturates, I guess, and then alcohol and nicotine. And it was interesting. I was like, wow, this first year is really bad. I'm not sure you can do heroin in moderation. I'm honestly not sure that can be done for the glory of God. I don't know, maybe there's like some super low dosage opiate. Oh, wait, isn't morphine heroin? No. Never mind then. But alcohol and nicotine, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, 
what do we escape into, you guys? What do we escape into? We need the Lord Jesus to lead us onward, not into escaping into stuff, but onward in Christ to the truth. The God who knows, who plans, who has plans for us, plans for us to be served in Christ repeatedly. And that's why you're here, so that Christ can serve you through his word and at his table, but not just so that we can be served, but so that we can go like the king who came to serve and give our lives as a ransom for others. Jesus shows us the way of life. He shows us the last verse of the psalm. Lead me in the way everlasting. What is it? Sacrificial love for those who do not deserve it, who are other, who are different in the world. Jesus shows us the way. Bearing burdens, reaching out your hands. And the urgency of this song, I end with this, is that we should do it now. In the last week, I've seen two friends online, two young ladies, one in her early 20s, one in her early 30s, both post tributes to their father. These young ladies both lost their father at a young age. One said in her post, I would give a million tomorrows for just one yesterday. Like I'd, I'd, I'd cut another 10 years off my life just for one more day with my dad. Just for one more day with someone who knows me and cares for me and loves me. As we reflect on God's power, which is everywhere, and his love for us, which is right here in Christ, let us also be impressed with the urgency of this knowledge and this revelation that God has given us, the time to be led onward, the time to be known by Christ, to repent of our sins, and to go into the world and preach the good news. The time is now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this table we pray as we come to the Lord's Supper. Thank you that we can see all of these gospel promises, all these good news promises fulfilled here in this table. You have given us yourself. Because of our shame and our guilt and our sin, because we don't want to be vulnerable or be known, because then that helps us to seclude ourselves and to ruin relationships and to seek power and fame and money and sex and pleasure and all these things over you. Because of these things, you have come to us to be torn apart for us, to be broken and poured out for us. We see that and we drink that and we eat that and we believe that by faith alone at the table. We don't have enough good works to get to you, God. We don't have enough to bring to you in sacrifice or offering to earn your love. You had to come to us and you did here at this table. And so I pray that you would draw us now by faith. Draw us believing in you, Jesus. May you be our only hope. Draw us in Christ's name.